Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. I don't know about you if you've ever really thought about this, but I have and I do a lot. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book several years ago that was entitled Surprised by Joy. To me, I've retitled that to say Surprised by Grace. I'm surprised that God shows any grace towards me at all. I really am. When I sense the kindness of the Lord during the day, I really am humbled and I'm filled with amazement. Why would he be kind to me? Grace, which is ever present, is realized at unexpected times. It pours in and the tears pour out when you realize it. There's always something new about it that catches my attention. It humbles me and it thrills me. And here we are in Genesis 3, perhaps the most pivotal moment in all of history. It's a dark moment when God's wrath seems unavoidable. A moment when the insolence of Adam was shocking and the arrogance of Eve was really stunning. God is sitting as judge, hearing, grieving, standing as the offended majesty of all of eternity, and something is about to happen. You expect to hear a thunderclap and the, the orchestra holding a high note. Adam and Eve's fear had to be absolutely intense. They had to be terrified. Surely, theirs would be a punishment fit to meet the crime. But what would you say would be suitable? What did they merit? Well, God said he was going to make sure that they died in the day that they sinned. He said, the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Well, instead, God says here in Genesis 3.15, he will come. He. Who is he? And you begin to study scripture, you're going to find out that the he mentioned here is Jesus Christ. God begins speaking right here in Genesis 3 about Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of all of this darkness, he has prepared a way out. Grace pours in when sin comes in. God pours grace that is greater than all of our sins. Considering judgment, if we read the whole of Scripture, we can understand Satan held intentions. He had goals and designs that went further than the fall of Adam. He was intending to create a following. His goal was to create an army of followers with the desire to build a contingent that he could come against God. He holds to the concept of power in numbers. He was looking for a congregation and Adam and Eve were charter members. God, knowing of his schemes, comes in and says directly to Satan, no, this is not going to happen. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Now, a lot of people don't fully understand what all that implies. Satan was not going to gain any alliance here. Enmity, by definition, suggest a true hatred, either overt or concealed. Satan hated Eve. From the moment she appeared on the scene, he hated her. He had no interest in her well-being whatsoever. He wasn't concerned that she does well. He was seeking simply to fill his own desire. He wanted Adam and Eve to bow before him, and they did. No telling what other plans he held for them, but God, who is rich in mercy, provided protection. God stepped in. God placed within Adam and Eve a hatred and enmity towards Satan. Gone was the admiration Eve once held. There was enmity now. We're told explicitly to hate evil. Have you ever considered that? We're to hate evil. You who love the Lord. That's what God says in Psalm 97, verse 10. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. God gives us this capacity. And he says also in Proverbs 8, verse 13, he says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We as Christians should have a true hatred of sin, but we catch ourselves so often coddling it, protecting it, defending it. Check your heart and mind to make sure that you're not doing these things. Do you hate sin or do you hold to it? Do you encourage it? What TV shows do you watch? Is the language that bad? 
nah, it's not that bad. Does homosexuality and adultery and all these things, is that okay? It shouldn't be. God will not allow his people to be happy in sin. The more you watch it, the more compounded it becomes in your heart. No, my friend, God puts enmity between us and Satan and his ways. This is an inner motivation that God instills and installs in his children. This is the first initial declaration of something to come. It's the first prophetic utterance. Who is this he that he mentions in Genesis 3.15? That should get you intrigued. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's another thing that he mentions here to Eve. To Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Late one Saturday afternoon, my wife called me to run to the front porch. As I ran, she pointed out to the road in front of our house. To the right, not 200 yards away, lay a body. From the distance, I had assumed it was our beloved family dog and my heart sank. A vehicle had stopped and the driver was approaching the body. I called out, is it a beagle? No, he said, it's a man. I looked down the road and there lay another body. Two men had been involved in a motorcycle accident. I walked up and quietly asked the one closest to me not to move. His skin was gone. His head was bloodied and things just didn't look good. I couldn't even tell if he was breathing. The other man somehow, in his shock, managed to walk over and sit by his buddy. Neither of the two men had been wearing a helmet. Both were torn to pieces. It was not a pleasant sight. The man I was kneeling beside began to respond. I asked him to move his legs, which he did. He spoke in a whisper and again I asked him not to move and he obeyed without question. His collarbone was obviously shattered. I could not see beneath the man, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to either. There was a fear in this fellow that is not often seen. He was in shock, and he was scared. He and his friend were eventually life-lighted to a hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. I've not heard of any results, and I probably never will. The man was conscious when he left, but he was in a whole lot of pain. Now, these men may heal up and walk away from all this. I don't know. I sincerely hope they do. And I'm mindful also that the effects of this accident will remain for a lifetime. God may have spared these two lives, but this does not mean there will not be effects that greatly alter their lives. Lifelong pain and scars may accompany them. And such it was with Adam and Eve and their sin. And such it is with you and I and our sin. Even with forgiveness, the scars that came as a result of our sin remain, and the memories are not forgotten. But when God forgives sin, we assume he removes the effects as well. We feel that's part of the package. Somehow it has to be associated with this religious experience as part of the deal. False teachers within the church have been pushing this sort of nonsense for years. This is what they say, and this is what they teach, and this is not true. It just simply is not true. And this is not what God says or teaches. God was definitely gracious to Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.15, God had extended hope for a final glorious deliverance. That's true. But we are not to think, nor are we encouraged anywhere in the pages of Scripture, that God is indifferent towards sin or will allow us to escape the consequences of our sin. Now, what do you mean by that? A famous preacher from Memphis, Tennessee had a well-known sermon called Payday Someday. He let us know that there will be a payday someday for sin, that God will judge sin, and sin has serious side effects, and then there's judgment. For example, a man who smokes for years and then comes to Christ, he's forgiven from his sin. Indeed, the sin is wiped away off his record. He's forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Angels rejoice and a definite change is realized. He stops smoking, he attends church, he prays, and he seeks the Lord. He's truly born of God. His sin's forgiven, and he now is possessed of eternal life, and I rejoice in that. Then, as time passes, he's stricken with lung cancer, and he suffers a horrible death, and his family suffers as well. 
The effects of his previous sin are evident, but God's mercy and kindness are evident as well. The curse of sin is removed, but the scar remains. Adam and Eve were object of God's mercy, but they still were removed from the Garden of Eden. They still had to experience the horrible effects of sin. They chose to embrace it, and now they have to live with it. They could not, no matter what they tried, escape the consequences. This brought a stark contrast in experience. They could look back, and they could see what was. I wish for the good old days. And then they look to the present reality, and they see what their sin had caused. Then they could consider just how God had been so gracious to them. Now, these two men that were involved in the motorcycle accident were spared. God's grace kept them from a horrible, terrible end. They can look back and see that. But then they will also be able to look down and see the scars and the effects of that accident. They're not removed. God spared their lives. And I don't know if either one of these men know Christ. If they don't, they're spared from experiencing the curse of sin for a few days anyway. Hopefully, I pray they'll look up and see the graciousness of God in Christ. But even so, the scars caused by that accident will remain for the lifetime. And the effects of sin, they always remain. But God can forgive and cleanse the heart and create from that point on a new man. And that's why we need to see these things. These are the things that we have to learn. These are the things that we have to see. Adam and Eve were not able to escape the consequences of what they had done but they were able to understand and experience the forgiveness that God gives. God still judges sin. And that payday that I mentioned, Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. My debt is clear and grace abounds. That's the amazing thing. And that is part of understanding the origin of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.